Uh, Iggy is actually, if you are not hiring, uh, looking to hire Iggy and just about every uh, Neverborn crew, then I think you're probably doing something wrong. Howdy, friends. Today, we got my good buddy Jeff on to talk about Pandora. Uh, he's got some really neat ideas. Uh, he talks about two woe models that he uh, not only takes with Pandora, but he takes out of keyword with other crews. Um, he's got a real interesting take on Carver, who I know uh, has been causing some controversy both on the forums and in uh, Weird Place. And uh, some real interesting thoughts in general on hiring masters. Last but not least, I loved um, his section talking about Turf War. And uh, the counter section is worth sticking to the end. Enjoy. strategy game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars delivers useful strategies, discussions, battle reports, and reviews to tabletop games like Malifaux. If you want to get better at the games you already play, or discover the games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk broadcast. Craig here on the third floor. Today we're going to do a deep dive into the Neverborn Master Pandora and how the Woe Crew works in Malifaux 3rd Edition. This is one I've been looking forward to a while uh, for a while now because I consider her probably one of the iconic masters of uh, all throughout Malifaux. In fact, uh, I believe she was uh, started up way back in 1st Edition. So my guest today is uh, Jeff Masker. Now, Jeff and I have been friends for years. Um, he plays out of the Capital City Conference and uh, is very respected as a player. Um, I've played him once or twice now, um, and uh, he's always a podium threat. So, Jeff, welcome to the third floor. Uh, hey, Greg. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, man. So what we're going to do is we're going to focus on Pandora and the Woe crew. But before we get started with that, Jeff, can you kind of give me an idea of how you found Malifaux? Um, I think like a lot of your guests, I started out, uh, with Warhammer. I actually played Warhammer when I was, uh, probably 12 years old, uh, back in the 1990s, early 1990s. <laughs> <laughs> and I did 40K and moved into fantasy when I got into my, uh, 20s. Uh, and I kind of played that for a little while. And, uh, when I moved up to the, from, I used to live down in San Antonio, Texas, and I moved up to, uh, the, capital region up here and uh from there i decided to get into malifaux because warhammer fantasy uh took its nice little deep dive into nothingness uh and it kind of ruined the game for a lot of people so i took a look at this malifaux game that i'd heard a lot about obviously seeing uh models like dreamer and things like that and the local stores and i think dreamer is that iconic model that draws er everybody in the the teddy the baby with a knife and you know that's that's what kind of draws everybody in and so they start looking at the game and they're like well this is really interesting and you know i kind of got sucked into the same thing and uh, i've been playing since the release of second edition nice and did you did you play the other games competitively or was malifaux the first time you played competitively um i had done a tournament or two uh in warhammer fantasy i hadn't done uh deep competitiveness then gotcha so mal because you're you know, I see you a lot at the different tournaments and stuff. So it sounds like Malifaux may have really kind of uh, scratched that ish for wanting to wanting to play in tournaments. 
Oh, definitely. It's uh, I, I like the uh, the strats and schemes of Malapo, uh, where as opposed to most tournaments for uh, Warhammer, was simply uh, blow your opponent off the table as fast as possible. Um, and yeah. you, know, you know, whoever achieved that first, congratulations, you won. But Malapo was a completely different game. Uh, it's not centered around killing people; it's centered around achieving objectives, which is probably the most important part of the game. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, something that's really kind of set itself apart. You're uh, you're starting to see some other games start to goof around with it. Like uh, it's a big secret and it's not been out for a while. But um, I don't think anybody is is even close yet to really uh, kind of stealing that as they should, because I agree it's one of the better parts of the game. So, Jeff, uh, what we're going to talk about is uh, really kind of understand how you play Pandora. Um, we're going to learn really what makes her different than how she was in two. What makes her the same as she was in two. I want to get an understanding of what some of your core crew pieces are, pieces that you bring in all the time. And we're also going to talk about, you know, your approach to different strats and scheme pools, as well as uh, other declared factions. So, Jeff, let's pretend that uh, some of the listeners have never heard of Pandora. They've never played her. They've never played against her. Can you give us a kind of an idea of uh, what style of master she is? Uh, Pandora is almost universally a control master. Uh, everything that she does from the uh, front of her card to the back of her card is all about controlling your opponents, controlling the conditions that are on them, uh, and controlling their actions, uh, including who which models get to activate for them. So in general, she is controlling what your opponent does in the order in which it's done. And so, I mean, you talk about the control piece as far as activation. We'll get into, you know, exactly how she does that. What are other aspects of the game that she can really dominate? So, uh, in general, uh, she's actually... And this isn't just a Pandora thing. I think in Neverborn, in general, when it comes to schemes and strats, uh, the Neverborn don't have a lot of the specialized models that are designed for... Uh, you know, like going out and achieving uh, specific schemes. They don't have things like hucksters. They don't have these uh, awesome pieces that uh, soulstone miners that can pop up wherever they want to go achieve a scheme <laughs> for you. You know, these aren't things that the Neverborn has. So as a Neverborn player, you have to play uh, differently than the other factions. And the big thing that they do is it's not necessarily being really good at schemes. They are very good at denying schemes. It's one gotcha. of the main points that the, the uh, faction as a whole is really good at. And some of her models pull this off greatly. So uh, unlike Arcanists that um, basically just have to build the models and start winning because uh, all their stuff is so broken, uh, you're saying Neverborn players actually have to play the game. Uh, yes, yeah, you have to be aware of what your opponent is doing at all times, yes. <laughs> so um, let's talk uh, Is there about offense first. Um, so is there anything offensive that Pandora is doing? Is she putting out any damage? Uh, absolutely. So uh, the fun – well, what I, before I say absolutely, if your opponent can put out damage, Pandora can put out damage. Uh, okay. Pandora's uh, ability, self-loathing, uh, it takes the damage track – uh, and the uh, the description of the attack action that the model she's hitting does. So when she attacks, uh, it will take the, all of those characteristics. Uh, and if you're going against a scheme runner, no, she doesn't pump out very good damage. But if you're going against one of their beaters, yeah, you're hitting the beater as hard as that beater can hit you. Yeah, and I think the key there, if I understand it correctly, is that she's not actually doing the attack. She's just taking the the uh, attributes of the attack, right? Which sometimes can matter. 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's not just the damage track, it's the entire effect of the attack. So if uh, it was a 3-4-6 damage track and uh, slow, it does both of the actions. Right, right. But she gets to keep her own triggers. She does get to keep her own triggers, and one of them is very good, and the other one is not good at all. Okay, so let's go over them real quick. Uh, sure. Uh, the one that's good is uh, Delay. It's uh, on a crow, it gives your target slow. So on top of doing the damage track that your model has, you're also putting on slow. The other one, I'm not sure what the developers were thinking with this one. Uh, it's called Crushed Ego, and I'll read just it off straight off the card. When resolving, resolve the effects of any trigger on the chosen action with the suit and the target's final dual total. So the reason why that's problematic is first I have to get a mask in my duel in order to get that trigger, uh, get my trigger off. Second, I have to have the correct uh, suit in your duel in order or in your total in order to get it off. And my opponent is still allowed to cheat. So if it's a trigger that's beneficial for me and something that I'm going to like, he's just going to cheat a card in order for that not to happen. So in general, that I, I'm not a big fan of crushed ego. Um, it would have been better if the suit were actually built into this, where you can declare it, you know, incidentally. But having you're having to jump through hoops for this to happen, and it's usually not going to happen. Well, and it sounds like the, the amount of opponent uh, agency in that it, it makes it problematic. So if you have an assassinate trigger because they have a, you know, they flipped a crow, they're going to do everything they can to get rid of that crow to cheat, right? Right. I mean, uh, if they had the card in order, they're already losing. If they had, to, had the card to beat you, they would have beat you, but they could always choose yep. another card of some kind uh, in order to uh, finish that off. And there are ways to get around it. We'll probably talk about that later, but... Uh, in general, it's not a very good, uh, you're not going to use it. It'll come up once in a very blue moon. So one of her signature things, and it was true in two, and uh, I see it here on her card in three is let, let's talk through what, how misery works on the front of her card. Sure. Um, so misery is in, uh, before we get into to misery, uh, we should first talk about opp- opportunist. Um, right. opportunist is uh, a keyword throughout all of her, uh, uh, it, it's a, an ability throughout all of her keyword where uh, it describes a condition and specifically for Pandora, it's any condition. But uh, the opportunist says uh, before performing an opposed duel, this model may end any condition on the opposed model to receive a plus to that duel. Uh, or, although for the other models, it would be uh, may end the slow condition if it's opportunist slow or opportunist focus may end the focus. Condition. Right. That in and of itself is okay. I, you know, I can end a condition on you. Uh, it's great if you have something like focus or fast in that condition on you and I get a plus. Cool. That's awesome. Uh, but it's not as good for other things like hard crew hands out stunned like candy. Uh, yep. speaking of candy, <laughs> but, uh, she, the, you don't always want to remove these conditions because her crew builds off of these conditions. So uh, the reason why opportunist is important for misery is because misery once per uh, activation after an enemy model within uh, an aura of six gains stun or a condition listed in the model's opportunist ability, this model may either move it up to two inches or have it suffer one damage. So you get your choice of that, which is, you know, having a choice is always nice. Yeah, and the key there with her is that her opportunist is for any condition. So anytime the opponent, anytime an opponent posing model within six inches gains a condition, whatever that condition may be, she gets to she gets the choice, right? Either move that model two inches, um, 
uh, or suffer a damage, right? That's correct. And uh, that actually ties really well with uh, on the front of her card, she also has a defensive and willpower trigger for dark thoughts, which after resolving, not after uh, being damaged or uh, anything, it's just after resolving, the attacking model gains stunned. So if you can get that mask in there, you, uh, you've you now given the model stunned, and you can push it two inches out of your engagement range now. And yeah, yeah she's she's very good at that's another aspect of her control. And I would imagine with that misery bubble, and it's a pretty big, big bubble, a six inch bubble is huge. Yes, it is. Um, I, I, you have to keep that in mind when you're looking at everything that she does to put conditions on somebody and everything on the other cards, all the other woes when they're dropping conditions on somebody. I mean, that's potentially one damage or two inch push. Right, and uh, it comes up, uh, particularly with her crew, uh, the Misery Aura comes up quite often. Yeah, that's cool. So I see her um, defensive trigger, which we talked about, and I think you did a good job of you know showing how that's beneficial because she could choose that two-inch push um, to get a beater out of her face. Um, is there anything else defensively that's keeping her alive? <laughs> yes, uh, Terrifying 13. and wow, 13- that's good is a incredible number for terrifying. Yeah. Uh, so you know, that's the, the largest thing. And on top of that, you know, she's got 12 wounds, which is uh, yep. really great for a master. So in general, she is very hard to put down. Yep. So generally speaking, how often is she ter- seeing turn five when you play her? Uh, when I play her, she's actually seeing turn five a lot. I also uh, keep some stones around because she does like being in the thick of things. But usually opponents uh, opponents that have played Pandora before don't actually try to get near Pandora. Uh, usually yeah. to put a master down, you have to uh, commit more than one model to that action. And if you're bringing more models close to Pandora, you're playing into my game and I'm really enjoying it, uh, what you're doing. So. so let's talk about that a little bit. Like, What do you consider Pandora's game? So Pandora is actually really interesting in uh, how she plays, or at least how I play her. Um, She has another attack action on the back of uh, Fear's Given Form, uh, which is a shockwave attack. And uh, if you're not familiar with shockwaves, it's uh, it's a 10-inch range. You place down a marker, uh, a 30-millimeter marker, and the shockwave for this instance is two. So a pulse uh, of two inches outside of that marker, models have to make a willpower 13 duel or take two damage. And it That's ignores, good. yeah, it, it's it, it is a very good ability, uh, and it ignores friendly woes. So if you're bringing your keyword, you don't have to worry about hitting your own models. Yeah. Um, on a, it also has a mass trigger for mass hysteria. That mass hysteria trigger, you're going to see it a lot throughout her keyword. Uh, it's shared by a lot of her models, and it allows you to uh, push models damaged by this action up to three inches uh, in any direction. But um, in general, her crew, a lot of it focuses on. Uh, making your opponent use the cards in their hand. So if she's okay. throwing out the shockwave multiple times per turn, you're making these willpower 13 duels in order to avoid the, the damage uh, too. In most in- instances, you're probably better off taking the damage too. Uh, and the reason why I say that is I actually want the cards to get out of your hand. If you don't have any cards in your hand, now you can't cheat in a card for that crushed ego trigger that we talked about earlier. Yeah, but on top of that, you can't get through uh, Pandora's terrifying thirteen very often. You can't uh, stop several of these other abilities, and we're going to talk about some more uh, tricks later on in the this episode. But uh, as an example, if you don't have a card to discard, it's hard to get rid of that execute that's going to be coming your way. Yeah, so it sounds like one of the things that she's doing is is trying to empty out those resources and 
it sounds like, I mean, you know, two damage is two damage. Um, and a willpower 13 duel is pretty high. So it sounds like some target numbers um, are, are really pushing that issue. Oh, absolutely. To, to further jump on that, her swift actioner uh, is the box opens, which is also a six inch uh, pulse. And it's a target number 14 willpower duel or suffer two damage and gain stunned. And because you're gaining that stunned within six of her, that's actually a three damage hit. Uh, so uh, in general, she's forcing a lot of willpower checks. She's forcing a lot of high target number duels. Yeah, and if the it sounds like if the opponent makes the mistake of bunching up a little bit, I mean, she does fear gives gives it form three times. She does the box opens, and that's that's four uh, willpower duels of target thirteen and fourteen, and you can kiss your hand goodbye. Exactly, and once your hand is gone, uh, the rest of her crew is just going to uh, make short work of you. So she's going to benefit because it's going to make her uh, more resilient, right? Because of that terrifying thirteen. If you don't have cards to cheat that terrifying. And um, it sounds like she's also kind of a setup, right? So if she, you, you can use her to drain the opponent's hand, then uh, as we get into the crew, we're going to learn how that's going to be bad news uh, for you when the crew starts coming in. Right. Uh, there is one other uh, action that it, it's kind of a pivotal action for her, and that's Despair's Influence. Um it reads, you discard a card, uh, it's friendly woes only, you push the target up to three inches in any direction, and until the end phase, the target adds the suit of the discarded card to its final duel totals. So uh, there are a lot of uh, triggers in this uh, crew, like I mentioned, the mass hysteria trigger, um, and this is a tactical action she can target herself. She is a woe. Uh, so right. she can push herself three inches, give herself uh, whatever suit that she discarded, and you can uh, do this to a woe multiple times. So uh, in the case of things like uh, curdle strike triggers, if you have two rams, you push something twice, uh, that's a six inch uh, push in total. And now it's got two Rams adding two damage to its attacks uh, for the rest of the turn. Yeah, that's nice. And boy, I mean, this is what the third or fourth thing we've seen where there's little pushes. And uh, if you've been listening to this podcast um, out there, you know that I am really starting to uh, preach about how critical these uh, offensive pushes are. Um, and they seem little when you read them on the card and a one inch push here, a two inch push there. But uh, Jeff, when you're on the table and you're pushing the opponent one or two inches here and there, it, it's the difference between scoring and not scoring. Absolutely. Okay, well, that, I think that gives us kind of a good idea and a nice setup uh, for Pandora. And, um, you know, so much of what she does, it sounds like, um, so, you know, not only, you know, controls the game, but supports the crew. So let's take a quick break. And when we get back from the break, I want to learn from Jeff what he always brings when he starts building a Pandora crew. We'll be right back. So, Jeff, as I do these deep dives, one of the things that um, I always like to find out is kind of what, what the core crew is, because, um, you know, with the keyword system, it's very easy uh, to end up with two or three models that you find yourself hiring every time because they just work so well in the keyword. They work so well with the master and they work well with the other uh, keywords. So when you're building a woe crew, are there certain models that you just always hire? Uh, there are, uh, and the first model that uh, I'm going to mention is the Poltergeist, because the Poltergeist is one of the linchpins of her crew. 
the poltergeist itself, it's incorporeal. Uh, defense for willpower six. It only has five health. Uh, but the big things that it has going for it is it has opportunist stunned, uh, misery, but uh, its distraction is the big key point here. Um, the distraction is shared across uh, several models in Malifaux, but enemy models within an aura of two of the model suffer a negative to willpower duels. And oh, that's a big deal. Yes, it is. Most of her crew provide willpower duels, and if you're in that uh, aura uh, specifically, uh, if you're standing near trying to hit Pandora, who has terrifying 13, and now you're on a negative for it, um, yep. and you're going to have a bad day. Yeah, and we've and we've already seen that that opportunist stuns a big deal because I, I mean we saw stunned being handed out um, all over Pandora's card. Oh, absolutely. Um, and stunned in general is going to be, uh, and we'll find out a little bit why that's such a good ability uh, whenever we get over to uh, to Candy. Uh, but stunned is a key throughout all of uh, her keyword. Uh, stunned makes some of her models actually work. Um, the other. Uh, ability for the poltergeist that I want to point out is Weeping Widow, where yeah. enemy models within uh, an aura of six ignore the ruthless ability. So if you ignored uh, terrifying and manipulative, you don't do that anymore. Yeah, and that's nice. So I mean, it, there's nothing better um, than a totem that's that's ultimately sounds like a bodyguard for her. Uh, it absolutely is, uh, and it, this poltergeist also uh, pairs very well with a, a yet to be released model of the uh, aversion. Where uh, if you uh, come within a certain range of the aversion, uh, you have to make a willpower test or be pushed back uh, after making the action, and you're on a negative for that willpower test. So you're not coming into the crew unless you, uh, the person wants, playing Pandora, wants you there. So, out of curiosity, does does the poltergeist also um, have anything that uh, helps drain that hand? Uh, the poltergeist, uh, actually, yes, it does. Um, it has a tactical action uh, called telekinesis. Um, his actual melee act, uh, melee attack, and uh, isn't something to write home about. And he has a uh, a fast action of glimpse of insanity, which is shared through almost all of the models in uh, the with the woe keyword. Uh, and it just hands out stun, which, like we said, is amazing. But the telekinesis ability, um, within a, uh, a pulse of four, you remove all markers within range. Uh, it's oh. just, yeah, it's very much like Molly. Um, it's all markers. So scheme, corpse, scrap, uh, ice pillars, uh, yep. shadow markers, all of them. They're all gone. Uh, enemy models within range, uh, which is the pulse of four, uh, must each pass a target number 12 move duel or suffer one damage for each marker removed by this action to a maximum of three. Nice. Uh, and then if you, it has a mass uh, trigger on that as well, where enemy models within a pulse of four have to uh, pass another target number 14 duel or be pushed four inches away from the poltergeist. Uh, so yeah, he's also throwing out those target number duels that, uh, and you know, th- you could be uh, hitting uh, everybody around you for three damage easily. Yeah, that's good. And, and, you know, the first thing I noticed or thought of when I saw this is, you know, positioning is going to be key to maximize this, right? You want to get him in the right position. So he's removing the maximum number of markers, uh, just for the fact that removing markers is great, but also to build up the damage. I haven't flipped to the front of his card. He's got to move six. So he has no problem getting there. No, he does not. He's, uh, he is a, an all star within the crew. If you can keep yeah. him alive, uh, he is going to absolutely wreck your opponents. Yeah, defense four and five wounds is tough, but he's free, right? He's a totem. Yes, he is. Uh, the next model that uh, I always bring is Candy. 
Uh, and you and I have actually uh, played a game where I use Candy. Uh, Candy yep. is an amazing model, um, especially within this crew. Uh, when you first look at her, she, it's a little deceiving. Um, she has manipulative, which is always good. Uh, and on her defense, she has a uh, defense and willpower. She has a trigger. It's built in on her defense of disarming. Uh, when resolving, if the attacking model did not declare a trigger, reduce the damage this model suffers by two. Now, that's good by itself, but you also have to keep in mind with how much stunned is being thrown around. Yeah. Uh, you cannot declare a trigger if you are stunned, which means you're not able to declare a trigger. So most attacks uh, that against Candy are going to be uh, – you're going to reduce the damage by two. And to help this along, she has an ability called Corrupted Innocence. If the model has not yet activated this turn, enemy models that start their activation within four must each discard a card and gain stunned. Oh, not wow. Or and. Wow. So, I, I mean, the synergy with 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 Pandora is obvious there. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. She uh, Candy is is an MVP uh, in most of my games, particularly because she only costs eight soul stones. Yeah, she's good for eight. Now, when you and I played, it was uh, you brought her. What into, was it? The Euripides crew that you brought her into? I did. Uh, I actually used the uh, the cute little trick of I shoved her into an ice pillar and teleported her across the board into the middle of uh, a bunch of your crew. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. And, uh, yeah, she was a pain in the ass. Um, well worth the nine you paid for her, and she comes in for eight here on the woe crew. So that uh, that's strong. Now, before we get to talk about stuff on the back of the card. I, Playstyle wise, is she staying close to Pandora, or is she another uh, another uh, line of attack, or like where does she where is she fitting where does she fitting onto the board? So she can actually go off on her own. Um, okay, I usually uh, Pandora wor- likes to work in a bubble, but she doesn't have to. Um, in the specific case of Candy, Candy's one of those models that can go off by itself. The only problem is you're going to be activating Candy uh, more or less towards the end of your turn because you want that corrupted innocence to go off. So when she's near Pandora, Pandora can help her out by moving her across the table without her uh, activating. And then when she activates, uh, hopefully your opponent's hand is gone and uh, she's going to punish them for using those cards. Yeah, that's actually a really good uh, call out there, Jeff, because between that corrupted innocence and the manipulative, every, all the pressure is on activating her light. Correct. And, uh, going towards the the back of the card um she has the self-loathing ability just like pandora only uh her trigger mass trigger is actually good um (laughs) (laughs) unlike pandora's um if the target has stunned uh when resolving the target gets plus one damage so not only is she doing the damage of your strongest beater when she's hitting it she's doing plus one damage in addition to it uh, she has glimpse of insanity, just like uh, most of the models in this crew. However, her triggers differ. Uh, one of them is on your heels where she can, uh, place into base contact with the target, uh, from eight inches away. Uh, the other one is burnout where the target suffers two damage and gains fast. So if you have a model in your crew that you don't care about their, uh, swift action or having to declare triggers, you can actually use this on one of your own models to, uh, make it suffer two damage and gain fast. Okay, uh, and her temper tantrum ability, uh, I've been talking about draining people, the cards from people's hands, and we've already mentioned that Candy likes to go late in the, uh, the round. But her temp- temper tantrum ability is a pulse of four inches. Um, it only needs a four to go off, but enemy models within range must each pass a target number 14 willpower duel. Once again, another one of those target wow. 14s, uh, or gain slow. 
now, and it also has the bloody display trigger, uh, where she can, uh, it's a target number 14 willpower duel once again to be, or be pushed four inches away from her. Mm-hmm. But, uh, when she's activating late in the turn, if she is standing near Pandora, um, and, or the poltergeist, she pulses out that willpower duel, which would be at a negative around the poltergeist, gives everything around her slow, and on top of that, if Pandora's nearby, or Baby Kate in this case, uh, who has Opportunist Slow, they're also taking one damage. So uh, that's uh, she's just amazing at uh, all around pumping out AOE target numbers. Yeah, God, I mean, it, I, it's funny. It's funny because I, I I played her out of context, right? You know, and and I can't imagine how much of uh, a pain she would be, um, you know, overlapping any of these other things. Um, and you know that that self-loathing, if if you've never gone against it before, what's really frustrating about it is when you have key pieces, right? So Pandora is a key piece. Candy's obviously a key piece. You're going to send one of your key pieces to take it out. So usually that's going to be your big bad beater. And what's scary about that is you send Howard Langston in to take care of Candy, and Candy's doing Howard Langston things right back to uh, to him. Um, and most beaters can dish it out much better than they can take it. Yep. Uh, the other uh, reason why I bring Candy around, uh, not just in Pandora Cruise, but in other crews, is for her goodie basket ability. Uh, she can't do it on herself. It's other model only, but the target heals one, two, three. Uh, on a ram, uh, she has tear off a bite. I'm not sure what she's actually tearing off a bite of. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know, she's randomly ripping off Teddy's arm to eat it. But she heals two for uh, auto ram trigger. But she, uh, this also has that crow burnout trigger where the target suffers two damage and gains fast. So uh, you're going to w- uh, want to remember that for uh, later on when we get to talking about that Teddy that I just mentioned her ripping the arm off of, uh, because that's pretty important interaction uh, with uh, the two damage and the fast with Teddy. So obviously she's got the misery aura, right? Just like Pandora. Um, if I'm in within six inches of candy and I am within six inches of Pandora and I gain stunned, how, how does that work with kind of that overlapping misery? So the way that that works, uh, and this uh, was a huge question in the beta, it was resolved in the beta and they changed the wording several times to make sure that this wasn't oppressively abusive, but also wasn't useless. Um, When the wording on uh, misery is that the target may suffer either uh, one damage or move two inches. Mm -hmm. I can choose for the, the, target not to suffer either one of those. So in this case, if you are standing near Pandora and you're standing near Candy and you gain stunned, I can choose for Candy's misery to affect you while Pandora's does not. So uh, it's not an active choice of the model that's activating. It is my choice due to the wording of may either move so on. And there was a lot of debate for a little while about uh, whether it was uh, you may either do the, this thing or that thing. That's not the case. It's I choose if I want to do this or that or nothing. Uh, and you're going to want to choose nothing if you don't want to affect them. So that makes sense to me. So essentially what, what that allows is to, is to get a little bit more juice out of the once per activation. So if, if, I, if you have an opposing model that gains stun twice in the same activation, you could potentially hit it twice with Misery, once from Candy and one for, once from Pandora. 
correct. And uh, what would generally happen and how that does, uh, why her crew likes to kind of be together is you would typically uh, hit something, uh, give it stunned, and then on the next activate or in the same activation, your second attack, you would strip off the stunned with opportunist to give yourself a positive to the duel, then reapply stunned and the other misery aura can activate at that. Got point. it. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. And we already, we've already seen um, how good that disarming trigger is. She's got eight wounds, which matches up with her eight costs. Is there anything else that we need to talk about about candy? Uh, other than her being uh, a henchman, uh, no, that's, oh, that's a good the, point. That, that, that is uh, um, her opportunist is fast. So, uh, you know, as she's able to strip fast off of models uh, and if you gain fast around her, you take the damage. So it's important to remember that hers, uh, uh, anything gaining fast around here is pretty important. So that might be good against, uh, let's see, who's, who's giving out fast 10 thunders and stuff like that. So that's good. Um, so who's next on the list? Uh, who do you, uh, after you, you've hired the poltergeist, he's free. You've hired candy. Is there someone else that always makes it into the crew? Yes. Uh, and, uh, this is going to be odd what I say it in the beginning, but Iggy always makes it into a Pandora crew. Interesting. Uh, Iggy is actually, if you are not hiring, uh, looking to hire Iggy and just about every, uh, Neverborn crew, then I think you're probably doing something wrong. Uh, Iggy himself is the quintessential scheme denier of the Neverborn. Um, on the front of his card, he's got manipulative, just like uh, a lot of the models within the Pandora crew. He's got opportunist, uh, opportunist burning because, you know, he likes setting things on fire. So when he does uh, a, a point of, uh, of burning, he also does a point of damage along with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got the unimpressed trigger, which is when resolving if the attacking model declared a trigger, reduce the damage this model suffers by two. That doesn't come up very often because, yeah. as we said, they're not really doing triggers in, within the Pandora crew. And his misery, uh, we've already went over that uh, ad nauseum. But the reason why you're bringing him around is, first of all, his melee attack, Flaming Fury, uh, the, the target suffers two, three, four damage and gains burning plus one. Uh, we've already mentioned that when you gain burning uh, around Iggy, you gain a point of damage or you can be pushed. Uh, in this case, you're usually going to do the damage, but that makes his minimum damage uh, considering two uh, as a min burning and then the point of damage from burning. So he's doing a minimum of four damage yeah. when he hits you, which that's just incredible for a, uh, six point or six soulstone model. Yeah, definitely, but, and that's that's him on his own. Let alone yes. if he happens to be near somebody else with uh with a misery aura. Correct. Uh, and then the other thing that uh is the reason why he's probably going to be uh, brought into most Neverborn crews is his arson ability. It's a ten inch range, uh, stat six. You need a six for it to go off. Uh, but instead, of, it's a shockwave. But instead of actually putting down a shockwave marker, he has to target a scheme marker. And it's a move twelve duel does damage to uh, and burning plus one. But then you remove that marker. Yeah, that's a big deal. So uh, and. I'll go back over why arson is so important in a minute, but he also has reckless so he can suffer one uh, point of damage to give himself fast. So you have a model that has a move of five. He can uh, double, double walk. So a 10 inch uh, walk and then a 10 inch range on arson. He can remove an enemy's uh, scheme marker that they were counting on from 20 inches away on the board. 
Yeah, and, and anybody who has played more than five games of M3E knows two things. One, any type of ranged scheme marker removal is huge. Absolutely huge in this game. And it does not, it takes just a couple games to see it. When you go through and you look at how scheme markers are used in three to score, the ability from a distance to be able to remove them is a big deal. And then the second thing you're going to learn if you haven't faced it yet is uh, Reckless was broken in two, and you might make the argument it's just as broken in three. It's not as prevalent in three, though. It's not as prevalent, but it's still really good. It's really good. good. Um, so yeah, I mean, and I mean, you say that, uh, people might be surprised by this, but, but he's in keyword, um, and boy, oh boy, that's a, you know, six wounds. That's a bargain for six stones. It is. Aki is uh, phenomenal within the Pandora crew. Uh, he also, that, uh, he has a trigger with an arson ability, uh, where he gets out injured as well. Um, that's not a huge, uh, issue, but keep in mind, if you just randomly get that off, injured is a condition. Yep. So if they're standing around Pandora, that's another point of damage. But uh, now you hinted at this, Jeff, are you hiring him for seven out of keyword? Uh, and other crews? Uh, absolutely. If there is a crew, uh, if I am going into a scheme pool that has my opponent is probably going to be doing things like search the ruins, which yeah. most people do. And if it's on the scheme pool, he will be coming in and uh, waiting until the end of the turn right before candy goes and blowing up a couple of your scheme markers. Yeah, no, I could see that. I could definitely see that. All right. Any other auto hires? Uh, the other one is I at, take at least one sorrow uh, and the sorrows themselves. Uh, they're, I hesitate to call them the scheme runners in the crew because this crew doesn't really have scheme runners, but uh, they have a, they're incorporeal. They've got five wounds, defense five, willpower five. They're kind of a, a middling model. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have opportunist stunned. Uh, they do have life leech, which is, which is nice. Uh, when a model activates within an aura four of them, they heal one and the enemy suffers one. So that's another, you know, ping damage that you're taking. Yeah, and uh, I, I gotta tell you, Jeff, I played at Nova. I played against a Pandora crew, and these sorrows were such a pain in the ass with that life leech. Uh, they are. It's uh, now keep in mind, uh, and this is one of those things that keeps Pandora from being oppressive. Uh, if the aura has the same name, uh, you only suffer uh, the one da- yeah. the one damage from it. So if you have three sorrows around you, you're still only taking one damage. Uh, but um, the big reason why you're taking the Sar around is because of their misery, misery loves company ability. Uh, it l- allows them to uh, more or less teleport eight inches to a friendly model or an enemy model with stun, which we've already established is going to be most of the enemy crew at this point. Uh, and then they have a trigger where they get to make a melee attack against it if there's no other models within three inches. Uh, it's It allows them to get across the board quickly. Um, they can... Uh, technically move 16 inches uh, a turn uh, which is nice uh, but I I'd hesitate to call them a, uh, a scheme runner but they are very quick yeah and what I found in my and granted I only played against uh, a Pandora crew once but um, what I found is that they were just they're just little little tiny tar pits so you know anytime I wanted to do something or get somewhere it seemed like a sorrow was right on top of me and teleported right into me and just it, it, it they were AP sucks. They just sucked away, sucked away actions from me. Yeah, uh, uh, they're and, and they're fun to, to jump around on the board. I mean, yeah. if you want them to get over, if a scheme runner's uh, running out of your range, uh, they're very good at catching up to it and trying to hold it in place. Yeah, and they're five five with five wounds. They got incorporeal. So, um, yeah, I just, I mean, like I said, Jeff, I've only played against them once, but they 
I'm still a little bitter about it because they were a pain in my ass. <laughs> All right. Um, now, we haven't really talked about like any beaters. Is there any beaters that may not be part of your core crew, but, um, you know, is there a woe beater that you uh, hire a lot? There is. And uh, the forums and basically uh, a weird place in general uh, have uh, given this guy a, a bunch of uh, grief. But I really like the Carver. Oh, tell me about it. So the he's terrifying 11. He's got 10 wounds. He costs 10. He is a little expensive. Expensive. He does have Ruthless. Um, and he has this, he's a, a nightmare and a woe. So he has dreamer feet on fear ability. If you fail a willpower duel around him, he heals one. Uh, so that, that's pretty awesome in general. Cause we've already talked about all the willpower duels that are being thrown around. Yeah. But the, the reasons why I like the Carver is first of all, uh, he's opportunist focused. And as I mentioned before, a lot of these, uh, models that I'm taking have manipulative. Yep. Uh, so I'm choosing when I'm going to activate these models and choosing when not to activate the models. Um, but the way to get around that is if you're standing near one of them, you focus and you hit the model. So not if you have the high card to cheat in, you're going to be able to be uh, hitting at a plus to damage. But with the Carver around, if you focus, uh, he is now going to hurt you or push you two inches away from that model. So now your focus is kind of useless. Yeah, and that, and that's that's some protective tech. And as we're talking about this, you know, I'm trying to keep in mind Jeff to kind of the whole crew, and and it's it's and it makes me happy because I've always you know never born as the uh, the faction I've always wanted to start, and I just have not gotten around to it. But. Um, you know, Dreamer and Pandora are the first two I'm going to get into because I just have always found them to be so, so cool. And, and I'm really loving how much it, it's a little bit subtler than other uh, keywords, how they really kind of work together and and put uh, the same kind of pressure on the opponent. Um, it, it's very interesting. But the one thing that I realized that we did not get into, and I think probably when we talk about Carver and his, and how he helps with manipulative is we should talk about uh, Pandora's ability real quick to control activation order. I, I had just remembered that we did not go over that. And that is one of the uh, better abilities that she has. Yeah. Um, it's called mood swings and it reads uh, if she, if Pandora is the cruise leader, uh, after an enemy model within an aura of six is chosen to activate, uh, this model may discard a card or a pass token to choose another enemy model in line of sight that has not activated this turn. That model must activate instead of the original model. So this is very reminiscent of her uh, ability back in second edition, uh, where she is controlling your activation order and who you're activating. Yeah, and like a lot of other abilities in M3, man, it reads good um, or reads okay, maybe, but boy, oh boy, when you are up against it, it is just, it's demoralizing. It absolutely is. And, uh, you know, you have, uh, you're looking at your hand, you see the cards that you have, you look over at that model that you know that you're going to be able to uh, do whatever it is that you are wanting to do. You know, you're going to be able to pull it off and you go to activate it. And suddenly your opponent's like, I am going to, yeah, I'm going to discard a card and you're activating the model on the other end of the board that I can see. And it's just, it, it's very frustrating. It, it really is. And, and you don't, you probably should, but you may not realize like one of the huge decision points in Malifaux's activation order. It's a big thing that I don't think we've called out on the show yet, but it's, it's all over the place and it is, um, 
I think the difference between being a good player and a great player is knowing what to activate and when. And to have something that screws around with that is just, it's brutal. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I've been to, like you mentioned, I've been to a lot of tournaments and I can usually tell, uh, in the second turn ish, uh, if I'm going to have a hard game or an easy game yeah. uh, during that tournament. And if my opponent is sitting there wondering which model he's going to be activating next, I know that he hasn't played this crew very often. And, uh, generally, most uh, of the expert players, they know exactly what's going to activate and what's not going to activate. And by messing with that order, you were messing with their plans. Yeah. And that's actually a, a bar that I've uh, mentioned a few times, Jeff, that um, once you get to the point where you know what's, I feel like you have a good handle on your crew. If you know, without picking up a card, what your next activation is. So if you can look at the board state and say, you know what? I need to activate candy. I think that's when you have a good grasp on the crew in general. Um, and that's a really, that's a good call out, Jeff, because, you know, when you first start working with a crew, like every time it's your turn, you, you, you pick up three cards trying to figure out what is the next best move. But once you kind of know the crew, you know, what's next, you know, what needs to happen. Right. And, uh, you're not going to be activating candy. Candy's going to be going last. That <laughs> That's true. That's your bad example. <laughs> um, all right. So now that we talk about, you know, things that are maybe not core, right? And we talked about a nice beater with Carver. Uh, we got to talk about Teddy. So let's talk about where Teddy fits in and when he fits in. So uh, first of all, I wouldn't bring Teddy around unless you're also bringing baby Cade. Okay. Well, let's uh, talk about him together then. Sure. Uh, I mean, and they work very well together. Uh, Cade, uh, seven cost, uh, whoa. He has opportunist slow, um, and he has an ability called I've got my Teddy. So when, uh, if you bring baby Cade, the Teddy counts as versatile in, uh, the whoa crew. So he can come along for that. Um, I also, uh, we didn't talk about the, the Carver's, uh, attack actions, but they actually really pair really well. The Carver and uh, Baby Cade both have uh, Critical Strike and Execute and Stat 7 on their melee attacks. So that in and of itself is outstanding. But when you pair that with Pandora's ability to provide uh, suits, um, there have been times where uh, I have pushed both Baby Cade and Carver and uh, discarded low crows uh, to give them both execute triggers with all of their attacks and then worked on getting rid of my opponent's cards. And then the Carver and uh, Cade both went nuts executing things. And you've only got so many soul stones after yeah. you get rid of the, those cards and your, your model's going to die. I mean, stat seven against de- uh, against your defense uh, for both of them. Uh, it, it's a very scary thing to see coming your way. Well, every step we're taking in this journey together, uh, Jeff, is you're keeping a promise, which is we were going to understand how critical it is to the uh, to the success to have that hand drained. I mean, and everything that we've talked about since within the crew is if your opponent doesn't have the cards, they're in a lot of trouble. Oh, that's that is the key word. When I start. Uh, and when I activate Pandora and I start throwing out those shockwaves, you need to really make a decision uh, at that point in time. Can this model suffer two damage? If so, do I really need to cheat this card? Yeah. And if the answer is no, you should keep that card in your hand. Because if I ever get to get you to a point where you don't have cards in your hand, the rest of your turn is going to royally suck. Yep. 
No, that's it's it's really becoming kind of a clear picture. Uh, and boy, uh, you know, Cade's got the lure, which is always great. Um, it's and the pounds as well. So God. if you get you in this engagement range, she also gains fast from that lure. Oh, that's strong for seven stones. Cade is Cade's legit. I have not looked at him yet. Oh, and uh, the the cool thing about Cade is, uh, as I mentioned, uh, once again, Pandora handing out those suits. Uh, if she gives Cade a ram, uh, not only is he uh, doing min three damage from the critical strike of the ram, right. but on his lore, he also has rip and tear. So if he lures you to him with also with a stat seven against your willpower, once again, Poltergeist putting you on a negative for your willpower. Mm-hmm. He pulls you towards him into his engagement range, declares rip and tear, which you've gotten from uh, Pandora. Uh, he then gains fast because you're in, in his engagement range and gets to make a melee attack against you. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. Um, yeah, that's like seven stones. Hard to believe good. Wow. Yeah, yeah. baby Cade is very good. Um, when I bring Cade, I also bring Teddy. Uh, and Teddy works... I wouldn't have thought this originally, but Teddy works really well in a woe crew and he has a lot of interactions with other models that you at first don't see. Like, uh, Teddy has regeneration one. He's terrifying 11. He's got armor one. He's got the feed on fear ability. Just like we mentioned with Carver, he's got flurry. So you can discard a card and attack you again. But when I mentioned candy, I mentioned the interaction with Teddy. She can heal Teddy and then give him fast where he suffers two damage. His armor reduces it to one damage. uh, Mm -hmm. And then his regeneration, when he activates, brings him back up to full life. So now you've got a fast Teddy that's terrorizing through uh, the crew and you've given nothing for it except for a a low crow. Well, not only a fast Teddy, but a fast Teddy that can flurry. Yes, so uh, Flurry is uh, a, a great ability, that, and uh, you playing with uh, with uh, the Resurrectionists, that, that Flurry discarding with the Molly crew, like, you know how, how good that is. Yep, no, it's that's huge, and a min three. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny. Yeah. He's, you know, and you've, you've kind of danced around it, but he, you know, he's a nightmare. So technically he's out of keyword, but uh, you bring in, uh, you bring in the baby Cade and then suddenly he's, he's the straight up 10. So he, here's a question for you then, Jeff. He's the same cost as Carver, right? Is yes. it a situation where you, if you're going to bring baby Cade in, you're going to bring in Teddy and skip Carver, or do you find yourself bringing all three in or how, how do you decide between Carver and Teddy or, or do you uh, not bring both? A lot of the times I'll actually br- bring both. Um, mostly because, uh, as I mentioned, I have a sorrow for uh, running the schemes and I use Iggy to deny schemes. Yeah. So if I can uh, kill your crew before you finish your schemes, uh, that, that works out best for me. And that's kind of a theme for all Neverborn. Neverborn, Neverborn are very good at killing. That is kind of their stick and it has been for a very long time. So they kill things quickly. They don't necessarily scheme the best. Like I said, they don't have any really dedicated uh, scheme. I mean, one of the best scheme runners that they have is Capellius, who's a nine uh, soulstone model, and the only reason why he's good is because he has a high movement and can walk out of engagement ranks. Like, yeah. it's the, they don't have those really awesome models like the the Hucksters that are just throwing down scheme markers left and right, or like those are. That's not a Neverborn. Neverborn, they're either doing things in a backwards kind of way, or they're in your face and killing you before you can get things done. Yep. Yep. It, um, 
you know, it's funny. They, they did a good job of carrying that over, I think, because um, that was it's almost more pronounced, I think, in three, though, don't you? Like it was kind of hinted at as a theme for Neverborn. Um, but the more Neverborn I play against, the more I'm uh, I'm seeing that kind of that that concept come to uh, come to life um, in the keyword system. Yes, I, I'm enjoying the keyword system a lot. Uh, I think it's redefined Malifaux and made Malifaux a much better game. Yeah, I agree. So there's two unreleased models as of the time that we're recording this. There's the Aversion and there's Lissa. Um, anything we need to say about them? Uh, I think Lissa is going to be more uh, important in a uh, Euripides crew. Um, it, it has this. It, it's going to bring those that opportunist and the misery uh, shenanigans into uh, his crew because he hands uh, their opportunist is staggered. Uh, he's got a lot of models that hand out staggered. I think right. it's going to go really well together. Um, you may even bring the Lissa out of keyword into a Lucius crew who also hands out a lot of staggered. But um, I think they're a little fragile. Uh, and frozen vigor helps them out a lot, but that those ice pillars, you're not going to get those ice pillars in the Pandora crew. So right. I don't think they're, the, they're necessarily the greatest for Pandora, but the aversions are excellent. Um, when they get released, you're going to probably see these a lot more often, particularly because, uh, they are a bodyguard for the poltergeist. Uh, when somebody comes running in on the poltergeist, they have the, uh, Antipathy, antipathy, uh, ability, something along that line. Um, <laughs> antipathy. <laughs> we know you went to school in Texas. Go ahead. <laughs> I actually didn't. I was a military brat and went around uh, school like all over the place. But um, public educations, man, leave me alone. <laughs> for those but, of you listening, you can tell that Jeff and I have been friends for a while. <laughs> he uses this word friends. I, uh, I use it very loosely with you. But go ahead, Jeff. <laughs> So uh, after an enemy model ends a move within an aura of four of this model, after resolving the current action, the enemy model must pass the target number 13 willpower duel or be pushed three inches away from this model. This push is ignored. Uh, it, basically, you, so you can't continue to chain the ability. You ignore the, the ability with other uh, from other friendly models while doing that push. But uh, if your poltergeist is standing there with an aversion near it and they come in charging on your poltergeist, uh, he gets into that, that range, uh, is going to fail that target 13 willpower duel and be pushed out of the range and is not going to be able to make another attack. That is really interesting. I, I don't know if I've seen this before on anything else. I, so essentially got you come in, you charge, you take a melee attack and then you got to pass a willpower duel. You're just going to get pushed and, and won't be able to use your second action. Uh, it, it, is, it is very reminiscent of Pandora's ability where uh, she can use uh, misery to push the models that charge in on her back uh, two inches when she uh, gets her trigger. So uh, it's kind of unique to her crew and it's very uh, protection oriented. Once again, that control thing of I'm going to put you where I want you. You're not going to be where you want to be. Yeah, that's, that is really, really interesting. And, and, And I think it would take, um, it would take a decent player to maximize this, right? A player that really understands positioning and, and understands activation control to make sure that the aversion is where you need it to be. But that is a, that is a nasty defensive ability. That's nice. Yep. Yeah, and I look forward to the day when uh, these actually come out. Uh, they basically look, uh, look like ghosts. Yeah. Uh, no, they're cool. It was apparently picking its nose. So <laughs> uh, they, they're going to be fun little models to bring along with Pandora. 
Very, very nice. Um, all right. So we talked about Teddy, who kind of functions a little bit out of keyword and versatile. But is there any true versatile models that you're hiring into a woke crew? So because Pandora has such synergy with her own things, I usually don't bring versatile yeah. models. I mean, in general, if you wanted to, uh, they ha- there are some uh, very good versatile models within the ne- uh, Neverborn faction. Uh, Hinomatsu is outstanding. Uh, Vasilisa is also very good. Yep. Uh, and then bringing in the, the little three soulstone wicked dolls with her, where you can, uh, kill one of them and bring out a stitch with Vasilisa. Like, those are all excellent, uh, things that you can do. But in general, her crew builds on itself and yeah. pulling pieces out of it, uh, it's not going to give you as much of a benefit as it would with other crews. Yeah. And there's just some keywords that, that don't encourage uh, out of keyword hires because it, it, there's a snowball cumulative effect to the keyword. And the, the more in keyword models you bring, the stronger the entire crew gets. And I can definitely see where that is true for her. Um, so that kind of covers us on the out of keyword as well. Um, and I probably already know the answer to this, Jeff, but have you ever brought hired a second master into her crew for the, uh, or is it for the same reason? You don't have the points. So uh, I usually, uh, with Pandora, I wouldn't bring a second master. Um, if I did, it would be Zoraida, um, because Zoraida is just... Easy button. Uh, yep, easy button. Um, but in general, I don't like bringing second masters. I think a lot of the uh, high tournament players uh, are have in the United States are steering away from that because we already see the writing on the wall of what's coming. Um, now, don't get me wrong, in Nova, when it's an allowed, I most definitely took Dreamer and yeah. Zoraida in the, in the last you know uh, round of the tournament, but it's something that we're pretty sure when Gaining Grounds comes out, they're not going to allow this um, because there is too much abuse and, uh, and it depends on what faction that you play, but there's a clear winner with the factions Um in the case of uh, Resurrectionist, you know, you're going to bring Molly to the table with uh, the Neverborn. It's either going to be Dreamer or Zoraida, depending yeah. on what the schemes look like. There's always a clear, like, and it's usually somebody that's a very support-oriented master that's going to come in and make everybody else just exponentially better. Yeah. And we already see that this is not something that's going to continue because uh crews have weaknesses for a reason like as an example pandora's crew uh they like being clumped up if you can get them to spread out they're not as effective well uh if you get me to spread out and i'm also bringing along dreamer and every time you fail one of these willpower duels i'm pulling in all these other uh nightmares like it's still not going to be a very good day for you so it helps me cover up weaknesses that are supposed to be designed into the crew. No, I'm with you on that. I'm definitely with you on that. So Jeff, uh, how about upgrades? So within the Neverborn faction, um, there are a couple of upgrades. Um, I'm not a big fan of upgrades in general. Um, I've been particularly with certain crews. Now, if you're playing Arcanists, yes, you're bringing upgrades because your upgrades are outstanding and everybody hates you. Um, But Inhuman Reflexes, is a great upgrade for certain models. Uh, the And the big thing that you're getting from that is the butterfly jump. Uh, when you resolve an attack action, you get to move your target three inches away. Like I said, we're already moving things around. When I first started playing Pandora, I would give her a butterfly jump to get her away from things. And then I started looking at that and like, why am I doing this when I can just push them two inches yep. away from me and it's the exact same effect? 
Yep. Uh, other people like bringing Ancient Pact, um, uh, it's where they can get a, a plus one on their initiative flip, and they'll put it on a minion where they can get a card draw. But uh, in general, uh, the other two I'm not a big fan of. Uh, I don't feel like they're they're really you get a whole lot of out out of it. And if your crew is being played with Pandora correctly, Butterfly Jump is a non-factor because of how you're supposed to be using Misery. If you need to move three inches, why don't you just hand them uh, the model stun and move that model two inches out of your way? Yeah, I can see the overlap there. Um, now, Jeff, as someone who plays, you know, most of the Neverborn, if not all of the Neverborn Masters, is is this a commentary on uh, the upgrades in general? Do you think that they're kind of weak for Neverborn, or is it just they don't fit real well with Pandora? The butterfly jump upgrade uh, in Human Reflexes, uh, it fits very well in several of the crews because, uh, like I said, butterfly jump is a very good ability. Yeah. The uh, the other two are I I and this is a personal preference. I don't like them very much. Uh, you know, I'm not going to pay soul the two soul stones for uh, avoid doom. Where if I flip a black Joker, I can flip a new card in its place like that. The times it's and it's not any time I flip it. It's if that model flips it, right. and, uh, the chances of that happening are incredibly small. And then I get plus one uh, uh, to my total and in, on initiative flip. So you've given me a pass token. Thanks. I, it's not worth it to me. Um, and then the minion ability, you can draw a card, but I don't usually put uh, two soulstone upgrades on minions. They're uh, I, they die too quickly. And then the other one is uh, hot garbage. I I never would never take it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, good. Let's do this. Let's take a quick break. And when we get back from the break, I want to learn from Jeff, you know, kind of what strategies um, does Pandora go into strong and uh, what are some of the schemes that she's really good at? And what are some of the schemes that uh, she's good at denying? So we'll be right back. Howdy friends, Craig here. With 3rd Edition Malifaux released, it's time for you to get a new mat with new deployment zones. We've tried every mat in the business, and nobody has better quality and selection than mats by Mars. They're waterproof, and they roll and unroll easily, and they're even wet erase Marco compatible. They offer over 35 designs and let you add M3E overlays for making deployment and positioning a breeze. Check them out at matsbymars.com. They are offering a sweet discount for our listeners. After you found the perfect mat, use the promo code THIRDFLOOR to get 10% off your entire order. If you really want to support us in the notes of your order, request that our logo be put in the corner of your mat. It's the only way to make the best mat in the business even cooler. Again, that's Matt by Mars. Use the promo code third floor to get a 10% discount. Details are in the show notes. Okay, boy, we um, really see kind of the, uh, the overlap um, with this crew. Um, and it's not only like literal overlap with, you know, all the ores and things like that, but, um, you look at a single woe and you may not see the full strength, but, uh, you start seeing woes working together. And, uh, it's, it's the kind of crew that I think, uh, in the right hands can be really, really nasty. Um, but now that we get a sense of the core crew, Jeff, can we talk a little bit about, um, the pools? So, you're in a tournament and you look at the pool. Uh, what is the strategy that makes you at least consider, if not auto pick Pandora as the go-to master? I really like taking Pandora and turf war. 
Uh, Turf War in and and of itself uh, helps to benefit a player that uh, can kind of stick around in the middle. And if I can get Pandora's crew uh, right there in that middle section, um, if you're you try to bring one of your models into that middle section and I kill it, I can flip any table quarter uh, due to the rules for, for turf war. So mm-hmm. I can flip one of the, one of your markers that you've already flipped in your section. Uh, I can send a SAR over uh, to flip uh, the sections on my side of the board, have them teleport over into the middle with me as well. And if you decide that you want to uh, try to race after uh, one of the markers on my side, I can just send that sorrow back right back after you uh, and maybe have it accompanied by uh, baby Cade, who is going to stab you in the eye and, uh, then I don't have to worry about that model anymore. Yeah, and, and board control is is critical with turf war. And you know, you talk about her being a bubble bubble master, and I see what you mean by that. But I, I'm getting a sense, Jeff, that that it's a pretty big bubble. Oh, it is absolutely a big bubble. So Pandora, the bubble around her is six inches, and how they've changed up how misery works, and because all of these models hand out stunned with the glimpse of insanity, uh, swift action. Uh, the, it's, you're, it's not as a clumped up of a bubble as it was in second edition. So, yeah. uh, I can extend models out. And as long as the models are being supported by a, another model, those misery auras really feed off of each other. So is there, is there another strategy that she plays well into, or maybe another strategy she denies real well? Uh, yeah, uh, she, uh, for obvious reasons, reckoning as well. Um, she is very good at killing things. Uh, and it, it doesn't matter if, if your crew brings a whole lot of armor, it's okay. I'll kill you with the chip damage of everything that's happening around you. Yeah. If your, uh, crew brought a whole bunch of heavy hitters, cool. Pandora loves you too. Um, it, the, it doesn't matter what you bring. She has a way of getting around it. Uh, the only problem is, and I will point this out for, uh, several things. Uh, neither her nor Candy have an engagement range. Uh, mm. Neither one of them possess melee action, so neither one of them have an engagement range. Uh, this became uh, awfully problematic when I was going against a Nelly crew uh, in one of the tournaments that I was in because when I brought Pandora in uh, against Nelly, they just couldn't do anything to each other because uh, she was hitting Nelly with Nelly's attack that states uh, it. Uh, I think something uh, hands out a condition of some sort, but if she's engaged, it does a damage track. Well, Mm -hmm. neither one of them can engage each other. So they just kind of stood there staring at each other and there was nothing that Pandora could do. And eventually had to bring uh, Teddy around and uh, eat Nellie. So, yeah, yeah, no, I can, I, it's, it's, um, it's an interesting matchup, a little bit of a slap fest there because both of them are, are very indirect pressure masters um so <laughs> bringing them to bring them against each other is interesting how about uh how about schemes so is there uh schemes that you love to see um i like seeing search the ruins because search the ruins is a go-to scheme for basically uh everybody in this game um yeah i i imagine that this is going to search the ruins is going to be changed up somewhat um I also like uh, things like Hold Up Their Forces. Uh, I, like I mentioned, the Sorrows, uh, they're only uh, five-point models, and they can easily teleport across the board. So uh, yep. I like having that around. Um, I don't – or Vendetta, Vendetta for uh, the same reason. Uh, when you take Vendetta, you can have that one singular Sorrow. 
uh, as a five point model. And like I said, there's a lot of one point damages that are being handed out by this crew. So if you have a model with eight life and I've already done uh, three points of damage to it, I can pop the sorrow over there, hit you for one, declare a vendetta on the target. And then in the next turn, uh, kill your target. And now I've got my two points for a vendetta. Yep. Yep. Now, Jeff, you mentioned, uh, you know, turf war being really good for her. And, and I'm going to ask you this question, not just in the context of Pandora, but what is it just in general as an Everworn player, what is your approach to turf war? Um, how do you, how do you get yourself to that second or third point? And how do you deny that second and third point? What's your approach? So typically in turf war, what I'll do is obviously I'll flip my two markers. Uh, in a Pandora crew, I'll then head towards that middle uh, area. Uh, and then control that that point. Um, it, you have a choice at that point of we're going to get to a point at some point in the game where you're going to have to make a choice of whether you want to try to push into my area or you want to not go for schemes. If you ch- choose to push into my area, that's cool because I have an entire grouped up uh section of models that I'm going to take against you. If you decide that you, you're okay and you're going to go and try to scheme, I'm going to push into your area and uh, move as a group and take them all. And like I said, if you try to uh, send one or two models over uh, to try to deny uh, one, flip one of my turf war markers, I can always send a sorrow out to deal with you or to tie you up uh, and yeah. then send somebody else that's fast uh, to go take care of you afterwards. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, so I, I know you play some of the other masters. Is there – Pandora is good in Turf War. Is there any of the other Neverborn masters you think are good in Turf War? Um, yes. Uh, Dreamer and Zoraida are good in just about everything. Yeah. Um, God, that's so broken. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when I say Dreamer and Zoraida, I mean Dreamer – with no not dreamer with Zoraida (laughs) dreamer with Zoraida is broken and should never be allowed Uh, but uh, in general like I said uh, Neverborn the way that they play is uh, you go about doing things in a strange way so like with dreamer uh, I hear summoning models I mean basically dreamer is the the uh, the summoning master of Neverborn, he summons models and overwhelms you with numbers. Um, But he can also reposition if he needs his models uh, in a certain area, he can uh, either summon them or he can shove Chompy uh, completely across the board. Uh, Zoraida accomplishes things differently by not using her own models to accomplish things, but using your own models. Uh, It's a little um, strong at this point. But if she, if you took away her ability to do that, she would not be a very good master. Um, she has a lot of card manipulation and things like that, but actually yep. accomplishing schemes, if you go back to any game that you've played against Zoraida, the only reason why she accomplished those schemes and strats is usually because she used your models to do it, not her own. Yeah, and you know, there's been a lot of talk on the podcast about Zareda, Um, and uh I'm not quite as uh willing to call her as broken as other people are. Um I I find that the people that are like, holy cow, she's super broken have only played her once or twice. Uh you play her more than that and you start kind of figuring out things that you j- like you just talked about. Um, and, um, I don't know if anybody from weird listens to this, but 
if 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 you're going to do something with Zoraida, just be real careful um, because I think Jeff brought up a, a really good point that um, she could swing from being maybe a little too good to being really bad real quick um, if she's not handled correctly. Um, uh, she's not as high on that um, power scale as uh, she might first appear to be, um, which um, I think I think is something too important to do it. So, so my last question in reference to all of this, though, Jeff, is so, you know, and the reason I teed you up with the other questions is so now we've got three in play, right? We've got Pandora, we've got Dreamer, we've got Zareda, and the uh, strategy is Turf War. Can you walk me through a little bit how you're going to decide which of those three you're going to bring? Is it the schemes? Is it the opponent? What What, what makes you decide between those three? Uh, yeah, so the first answer is usually going to be Dreamer, um, because he's Dreamer. Um, yeah. <laughs> the interaction between Lucid Dreams and Stitched is incredible, and he that provides all the damage output that you need. And Dreamer himself, uh, along with Chompy and anything else, uh, Insidious Madnesses, anything else he summons, can go off and do the other things that you need, because these models provide all the damage that you, you could possibly ever want within the crew. So... Dreamer is excellent at basically anything that you need him to do uh, because he's a summoner and because of the models that he has are, are very good. Um, mm-hmm. But once again, they're not, uh, if you look at all of the models with the exception of Capellius, none of them are do anything other than I am here to kill you. That is yeah. my sole purpose. And unfortunately that's kind of the shtick that Neverborn have. They are there to kill you. Uh, when I uh, played uh, Europeanese against you, um, they have a couple of really cool things that they can do, like uh, shoving candy through an ice pillar and making her appear halfway across the board. But you have to use those sideways abilities in order to accomplish your schemes, because I don't have a Soulstone Miner. I can't make it a, yep. a pure, you know, over on the edges and instantly score out flank. Like, that's not something that Neverborn can do. So you generally either have to outsmart your opponent or completely beat them down. And that kind of calls back to the episode that uh, you and Owen and Cody were doing with, uh, I think it was Terra, where who's the beatdown? You need to realize Mm -hmm. this. Uh, If they're the beatdown, you don't have a whole lot of defenses with Neverborn. So you need to figure out another way that you're going to accomplish your goals because uh, if they start hitting you back and they're hitting you hard, you're going to have a bad day. Yeah. And I, I think this is uh, still true in three that, um, and Neverborn is a finesse faction. And mediocre Neverborn players are going to have a hard time. Um, but boy, oh boy, there is few things scarier than a really good Neverborn player because it, it is, it's so brutal when they know what they're doing. It, it is they and that's the the key basically with pretty much every neverborn master is you have to fully understand your crew but not just your crew you also need to understand your opponent's crew and understand what they can do uh if you don't know the things that that your opponent is going to do you're not going to know who you need to either take out for first or get caught up in that pandora uh, web bubble um these are really important things that you need to know. And uh, in general, the only reason why I've gotten uh, fairly good at, at uh, Neverborn is because I play 
uh, quite a bit and I read the cards, like every faction's cards, in order to find out uh, what I need to do. Uh, there are a lot of models that rely on their swift actions. It's really important. So putting out that stun is uh, one of the, the key things that Pandora can do. But you also have to keep in mind they can still do those swift actions. They changed stunned during the beta because it was yep. so oppressive that, uh, you know, it now they can still do that swift action. It just costs them a normal action, which is why candy is so important in these crews. Cause now they don't, they only have one action and they just use it. So, yep. No, that's a good point. And, and Jeff, I think something you, that you hinted at that I think is, is important is, you know, you, you are proof that, um, if you put in the work, if you learn the crews, if you learn your crew, if you learn the other crew, if you play a lot of Malifaux, you, you, you can have some success at it without being a smart person. Um, and, and right, you're proof you positive of that. A smart person? <laughs> <laughs> no, I did. But in all seriousness, um, you're, you're reiterating a, a common theme we hear on the uh, podcast, Jeff, which is, um, you know, learn your crew. Uh, spend the time to, you know, listen to the podcasts, read the other cards. Everybody's got the app now. It's free. Um, and, and, you know, get a feeling of it. So, so you understand the keywords. Um, because, uh, not understanding the, the entire ecosystem of three is, is not as detrimental as I think it was in two. Um, I think that's going to change as the level of play increases as people get more and more familiar. Um, but, um, just like any tabletop game, um, the, the more you know, the better off you're going to be. Um, and, and putting in the work and the studying both off, off the table and on the table, um, is, it's going to, it's going to impact your results. Uh, absolutely. And I think the keyword system helps dramatically because I do too. your, your stick can be easily explained. If I'm playing, yep. uh, Terra and my opponent says, okay, well, I've never played against Terra before. What do you do? I can say, well, I summon things, but if I give you fast, it's not, uh, it's going to be detrimental to you because I can use it in multiple different ways. Okay. Got it. Fast, bad. Um, yep. if I'm playing Pandora, I can tell you that if I, uh, I can use, uh, most conditions that are being applied, uh, and use them to my benefit and gain uh, positives for it. And if you gain a condition, uh, then I, you're going to suffer damage from it or I can push you. Okay. Got it. Conditions are bad. And you yep. know, th like these are things that you can easily explain as opposed to the last edition where it was like, well, yeah, I've got like these 80 different things that we can do. Uh, and I got to try to explain the nuances. Every one of them, it, it, it doesn't work out that well. Um, one of the things that I did mention before was, uh, the abilities that are prevalent throughout keywords. And I really like this where, um, when I'm playing, if I tell you that, you know, uh, this, uh, uh, glimpse of insanity is a swift action. It's glimpse of insanity is the same action across the board for all yep. of the models, not just, you know, one model and the next person does the exact same thing with a different name. Glimpse of insanity gives a target stunt. That is the only thing that it does. It's got a different models have different triggers for it, but right. Glimpse of Insanity gives stun. That's it. So it's it makes it so much simpler, Jeff. I mean, you know, with Molly, it's just I have to explain two things, maybe three things, and then we're ready to play. And I haven't shortchanged you. Like you understand basically what my crew does, um, you know. And I'll bring up some other things as we go along, but um, it is nice. 
I mean, in, in two, especially towards the end, man, like I, I brought seven models and I had to kind of explain what all seven models did because they kind of did their own thing and each was their own unique thing. But those shared abilities, the common names, uh, flurry is flurry. Um, you know, it, it, it simplifies things greatly. I agree. Um, so, Jeff, let, let's take this opportunity to take another quick break. When we get back from this break, I want to cover two things. One, I want to find out um, some kind of the inner workings or secrets or second level play that's in a woe crew and that uh, we need to figure out how to beat her. So we'll talk about weaknesses and counters. We'll be right back. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now, if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring, along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. So, Jeff, this is, um, you know, we talked about it when we talked about Neverboard in general, but this is not a plug and play uh, Lady Justice type crew, which is, um, you know, pretty straightforward, which doesn't make it bad or anything like that. It just makes it a little bit more interesting to play. Um, and, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, things that I think in other crews would be second level play, which is, uh, you know, understanding how everything, how the gears fit together. But what I want to do is I want to talk to the Pandora players out there. What are what are some of the things that they're going to discover after their fifth game, after their 10th game, or after their 15th game? Either things that they're going to struggle with or things that you think um, are, are not as obvious until you get the reps in. Uh, absolutely. So Pandora, uh, I mentioned this, and it was kind of a prevalent thing throughout this episode, is the... Uh, discarding your opponent's hands and just about every model in this crew has some way of forcing target number duels uh make sure you're using those to your advantage those uh it, it once you get the your opponent down to one or zero cards you'll find out that her crew works so much better and uh, if you're feeling that her crew is just a little bit too uh, squishy, that things aren't uh, going your way very often, uh, start focusing more on using these abilities. Uh, I mentioned the Carver. He's got an ability called Draw Essence. He suffers one damage, and models within range have to pass a target number 12 defense duel or suffer two damage, and then he heals one for every model that suffered damage. Most people don't use this ability a whole lot, but with... Pandora, that if he's around with a whole bunch of uh, models, you're going to want to use that ability, even at the detriment of using using the shears where you're doing a minimum of four damage to one model. Because yeah. getting those cards out of your opponent's hand is incredibly important. Uh, just by doing that alone, it frees up so much more things that you can do, and it's I think it's probably the most important thing that you can do as a Pandora player. That, that makes a ton of sense. Um, any other things? Um, so, you know, focusing on that, on that, uh, card drain and that resource drain. Um, you know, the, obviously positioning is critical. Um, we kind of already talked about that. So learning how to make sure your models are where they need to be and how to maximize, um, the woes ability to move the other models. Um, is there other things that, um, uh, you know, an intermediate or beginner Pandora, 
player um, should start thinking about? Uh, yeah, um, judicial use of uh, candy. Um, I mentioned her giving uh, Teddy fast, uh, but if you're not concerned about uh, having to declare triggers or uh, using the swift action, go ahead and use the glimpse of insanity with the trigger to give a model uh, fast. On top of that, yeah. um, using that glimpse of insanity trigger as well on an enemy, um, if you're standing around and you know, a model has like three damage left uh, or three life left on it. And you use glimpse of insanity to get it stunned. Uh, you can also uh, like just looking at that ability alone, you give them stunned. So from stunned and uh, candy, that's one damage. You declare the burnout trigger, which also does another two damage and gives them fast. If Pandora is near you, that's a fourth point of damage. You can do yep. four damage from one tri- uh, one ability and a trigger. So keep these things in mind. It's you. There's a lot of things that you don't see that add up slowly over time. Yeah, yeah. And and, and this crew is um, a little bit different than most of the ping damage crews out there. So you've got that attrition one point here, two points there, and then you got like you got Carver and Teddy and Cade out there. You know, just laying laying the beat down. So um, I think. Balancing that, I imagine, is is part of you know getting to that second level with this crew. Um, so this is the part of the podcast, Jeff, where everybody's going, "Holy cow!" This is the strongest keyword in the uh, all of Malifo. So let's let's talk about what Pandora doesn't like to see. So what are some ha- potential hard counters to her? What are things the opponent can do that's going to make a Pandora uh, player unhappy? Uh, things that. Pandora doesn't like to see uh, what is the uh, bonehead? What is the uh, numbskull? Uh, where no, you, numbskull, can't, right? you can't gain conditions. Like that's not a fun time for Pandora. Like she yeah. loves giving conditions, and if you're walking around and you're just immune to them, that's not fun. Uh, nihilism, where you can discard a card and suddenly my conditions don't work on you. Uh, that that's yeah. not fun either. And then any crew where you can displace my models is also hugely annoying. I'm looking at you, Colette. Um, if you send my model halfway across the board to a scheme marker, I'm not very happy about that. I generally like yep. controlling you. I don't like being controlled. So that that's one of those things that uh, is really annoying. And then uh, ranged in general. Uh, Neverborn, as a faction, do not like ranged. Uh, they don't have a whole lot of... Uh, mod- like When we went to third edition, a lot more models gained a uh, ranged attack, which is great, but the Neverborn still don't like uh, a whole lot of ranged attacks coming in on them. Mm-hmm. So stay away from Perdita. She's mean. Yep. No, that makes sense. Um, do you consider this a squishy crew or is it pretty resilient? That depends on if you are doing everything that we've talked about during this episode. Yeah. If you just run your whole crew forward uh, yeah, they're going to die. They're going to die very quickly. But if you are able, able to overlap the defenses that they have, if you're using these uh, tips that I've given out, uh, if you're uh, going through and not getting shot up on your way in, uh, once you get them into your your, boop, your bubble and your group, um, you're going to find out that suddenly what used to be a squishy crew is not getting hit anymore. You're watching your opponent get incredibly frustrated because he's not able to do anything here or she is not able to do anything to your crew. And yep. the times that the 
you know, they're going to be like, oh, okay, well, my model's ruthless because, uh, so I ignore your manipulative. Well, no, you're next to my poltergeist, so you don't have ruthless anymore. Um, or, you know, it, uh, I'm going to focus for, uh, to get around that manipulative that you have. Okay. Well, you're going to take one, uh, one point of damage or I'm going to shove you two inches back. Now you can't attack me. I mean, these are things that are really going to frustrate your opponent. Uh, and it's the only way that you're going to make this Pandora crew survive. If you don't play off of these, uh, little nuances, yeah, they die very quickly. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, when you, when you start getting good at this crew, um, you're going to be on a regular basis, pushing your opponent into two bad decisions. Um, and two choices that they're not going to be happy with. Um, and every time you're forcing your opponent to, to make choices, uh, it greatly increases the chance they're going to make the wrong choice, which means you, you're going to score points. Um, and so I think it's interesting too, um, Jeff, cause I've seen some talk, um, online and stuff like that and in the chats about, you know, Pandora is too squishy, the crew is too squishy. But it almost sounds like what you're saying is if you still feel that way, then you, you need to play her a little bit more that you haven't quite unlocked this keyword. Uh, that is very true. Um, the other thing that I'd kind of give as a tip to those people out there that um, that are either struggling to play Pandora or struggling to pay, play against Pandora, the poltergeist is a linchpin within this uh, this crew. So if yeah. you are playing Pandora and you're finding that your crew is squishy, you need to hold your poltergeist back and bring him in later. If you're mm-hmm. playing against Pandora and you're finding it incredibly oppressive, target that poltergeist. If you have an option of killing Pandora or the, or the poltergeist, kill the poltergeist. It is yeah. hugely beneficial to her crew. Yeah, life's a lot easier when he's down. Um uh, especially if there's certain, there's certain scenarios with the way the poltergeist works that he ends up becoming a very hard counter. Um, and if he's proving to be a hard counter, uh, based on what your, um, you know, your, your line of attack is going to be, then, um, I think that's great advice. Well, Jeff, my friend, I always enjoy talking to you. Um, we really haven't had a chance to catch up since Nova and, uh, we had a blast at Nova. Um, and so it, it's been good, uh, good hearing from you and, and talking through this. Uh, we've got a lot more Neverborn to uh, cover, um, so uh, this is not the last time that we're going to have you on the show. Um, is there anything in particular um, you want to plug or talk about before we close out? No, I, I just I wanted to say thanks for having me and uh, give a shout out to all the floor heads out there. Uh, <laughs> God bless Cody. <laughs> yeah, I think, so, you're gonna, uh, I think you're going to get that thing stuck. Uh, all the, the third floor fans uh, are now known as floor heads. So if you haven't listened to the Terror episode, I, I can't remember if it was the Terror episode or the Nova episode. I think it was the Terror episode that my good buddy Cody, uh, in an off-the-cuff attempt to um, uh, go into the uh, realm of branding, uh, did a shout-out to the Floorheads, and that's <laughs> just a terrible name, <laughs> which, to your point, Jeff, means it might stick, so we'll have to I see. Mean, who's to, <laughs> hey, if the Packers fans can be Cheeseheads, you can have Floorheads as your fans. Yeah, I guess so, and I guarantee if I go online right now, Floorheads.com is probably available. <laughs> I, I don't know. It seems like it'd be pretty popular. Oh, that's funny. All right, man. Uh, uh, say hi to the family for me. Uh, it was good talking to you, and And uh, for those of you listening, uh, thanks for sticking around. We'll catch you next time. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest gaming apparel and gear. While you're there, check out how the USFO Tour is shaping up. How does your conference compare to the others in the United States? Where do you rank nationally? 
Get those models built, painted, and on the table so we can see you at the U.S. Masters Invitational in October of 2020. Also, rate and write a review on this podcast for us. It really helps us find people almost as cool as you are. Thanks for listening. Howdy, friend. Craig here. Is this episode making you realize you need to buy some models? Gadzooks Gaming is my favorite online retailer because of their large selection, killer prices, and great customer service. Don't you hate buying an entire crew box when you only need one model? Gadzooks sells crew box models individually and saves you a ton of money. They even have free shipping to the U.S. and Canada if you spend $100 or more. Swing by gadzooksgaming.com and make sure you tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. All the details are in the show notes.